Well, good morning and welcome to Grace Fellowship. Thank you so much for joining us here today. I'm really excited to have you guys here for our live stream as we're talking about what it means when we have to be paused and how much I know that for me and for many of you, we just simply hate to wait. You know, we've been going through this series and we've talked about, you know, being still. We've talked about having hope. We've talked about listening. We've talked about all of those different things. But this week's topic is extra special to me, and it matters the most to me possibly because it's the one that I have the hardest time with. It's the thing that I struggle with maybe more than anything else, and I know that there's a lot of you out there that are like me, and you have a hard time dealing with it too. We're talking about patience this morning, and my patience is not my strongest virtue. It's not the thing that I'm able to say, yeah, that's the defining characteristic or quality of who I am. For me personally, my patience at times is something that needs to be worked on and needs to be improved. So that's what we're talking about this morning, and I want to go kind of straight into it with basically saying that the way I had thought through the sermon for this week is not what you're going to end up seeing this morning. See, I started thinking, well, it's Mother's Day. How can we tie in Mother's Day and patience and kind of get those things connected and working together? And I thought, well, I know what I'll do. I'll do something kind of fun and exciting, and I'll throw up different pictures of moms, you know, that people can relate to that maybe have demonstrated patience. You know, maybe it'll be someone like, you know, June Cleaver, or maybe be like Florence Henderson, you know, the mom from the Brady Bunch, Carol Brady. Or maybe we'll throw up someone, you know, maybe a little bit less, uh, less ide- idyllic for who the patients would come from. Maybe like a Roseanne Connor. You know, maybe we'll throw up you know, any other number of families. You know, Claire Huxtable. We look at sitcom TV moms as the idyllic or the perfect parent. Maybe not all of them, but we look at these sitcom moms and think, that's somebody that is patient with their kids. That's somebody who would not be a hard mom to live with. But then I thought, you know what, that's not the direction that I want to take this. Because that's not the direction that it needs to head for who you or I need to turn to for patience. And I want to start by asking you guys this question. When did you last demonstrate patience? When was that the big thing, the big ticket on your list, the thing you had to deal with the most? When did you last look at things and say, this was the time that I most had to demonstrate patience? And we're going to be kind of kicking that around a little bit and looking at that a little bit because as you think about how your patience relates to the things that are happening around you, You can't look at it from the parent perspective. You can't look at it from the way the perfect TV mom was patient with her kids or the perfect TV dad was patient with his kids because that's not us. Not only because we don't live in the perfect TV land, but also because of something very important. And this is what I would consider to be sort of a core truth that we can always kind of agree with. And it's this, we don't often demonstrate parent-level patience. We often demonstrate child-level patience. I want to say that again. We don't often demonstrate parent-level patience. We more often demonstrate or have 
child level patience. Now, here's what I mean by that. For you and for me, we might look at certain moms, maybe it was your best friend's mom growing up, and said, man, she was so much greater than my mom, or she had all of these things together, you know, her house was always in order, she never yelled at her kids, she had all of these things happening. That might be the person that you look at and say, that is what parent-level patience looks like. Or maybe you look at it and say, you know, there are times where I know that I get parent-level patience right, where my son or my daughter, they, they throw a baseball through a plate glass window in my living room, and all of a sudden, I have a brand new bill, and I've got all of these things happening, but I didn't yell, I didn't lose my temper, I knew it was an accident, and I was able to move on from there. There are times that we demonstrate parent-level patience with our kids, but how do we demonstrate parent-level patience in our own lives, with ourselves, with the circumstances that you and that I are dealing with on a regular basis, how do we demonstrate parent-level patience in those moments? Let me ask this even. When did you last demonstrate parent-level patience in the midst of your trials, in the midst of the things that were happening in your life, the things that you were maybe struggling the most with, how did you demonstrate parent-level patience in those moments, in the midst of those trials? When you learned, you know, your job is going to be ending, or your spouse doesn't want to be married to you anymore, or you learned that there's something that's happening in your life, either with your kids, or with your career, or with a family member that just isn't going to be resolved quite the way you hoped that it would, when did you last demonstrate that parent-level patience. See, for me, as I think through it, and I'm trying to work my way through understanding what it means to have that sort of a connection and to understand what that means and what that looks like, I tend to think, how can I be best demonstrating that not only for my son so that he sees me as a patient dad that's understanding and forgiving and kind and generous and willing to say, there's discipline when there needs to be discipline, and there's forgiveness when there needs to be forgiveness, and not confusing those two things. But then there are other times where I look at it and say, how can I, as a son, be demonstrating patience the same way? How can I, as a son, say, I don't have to have this thing right now. I don't have to have this need fulfilled or this need met right now. I don't have to have that prayer answered right here, right now. And maybe most importantly, whenever God does answer a prayer with wait, I can be okay with that. I can be content. I can say I'm not going to let that get to me. I'm not going to let it bother me. I'm not going to let it become something that is a problem for me. See, here's what patience means. It means the capacity to accept or tolerate delay, trouble, or suffering without getting angry or without getting upset. So if you're looking at patience through that lens and you're trying to understand what that means and what that looks like, see, maybe that changes your perspective on how to be patient. For me, I look at things in our society right now 
And you've heard me say this before, that we live in a society that loves to have everything immediately, that loves the instant gratification, that loves getting it now, getting everything now, having it right now, having it delivered in the next two days, or being completely frustrated about what comes next. How do we handle it whenever we're put in a position where we're forced to wait? Now, I shared with you earlier that this is one of my biggest struggles, and I'm going to explain to you kind of how that plays out in my life. For me personally, in order to try and get a hold on the fact that I don't have the highest level of patience, I acknowledge the fact that I don't. That's the first step that I take is owning the fact that my patience is not my strongest suit. It's not the thing that is the most qualifying characteristic of me, but it also keeps reminding me it's something I need to continually be working on. See, if there's something that needs to be done and I'm required and I'm at the mercy of somebody else handling it, I really struggle with that. Because if I'm put at their mercy and I'm on their timetable and I have to wait for them to get their portion of something done before I can move forward, then I get kind of antsy, I get kind of jittery because I have to wait for whatever that next step is and whatever the next thing is that needs to happen ends up being something that kind of starts getting to the point where if I could just do this myself, I'd get it done, I'd have it ready, it'd be ready to go, and then I wouldn't have to wait on this person or that person or this group of people. That is something I always have a hard time with. Now, maybe you're the same in that sort of situation where you would say, I would rather just do it myself to know that I got it done and kind of push forward and move ahead and skip right past all of the things that need to take place between here and there and all of the things that need to happen between here and there. Now, for me, whenever I think through Scripture and I think of how there are examples and demonstrations of how that plays out in the lives of any number of people, there's actually one parable that Jesus tells. There's a story that he tells about a man and his son that kind of constantly remind me of both ends of parent-level patience and child-level patience. So if you want to go ahead and open up your Bibles, we're going to be going to the book of Luke. That's in the second half of the Bible. It's in the part we call the New Testament. And as you're turning there, I'm going to give you a little bit of background. So Jesus is in a midst of a crowd of people, and he's telling them all this story. Now, if you don't know anything else about Jesus, or maybe you don't even believe that he was who he said he was, if you're a person that's in that kind of, that vein of thought, if you're thinking that way, there is one thing that we can agree on, that Jesus was one of the most incredible communicators that ever lived. He was better than the best pastor. He was better than the best orator. He was better than the best communicator that you've ever heard in your life. And part of the passage that we're going to be looking at is going to show you why that's the case. See, he's going through and he's explaining about what God's love looks like and how it impacts me and how it impacts you and how much God cares about each and every one of us. But because he's got a large crowd of people, he knows that he has to kind of put it on some different levels. So he explains the same concept three different ways. The first way that he explains it is he explains it about a lost sheep. And then he talks about a lost coin. 
And then he talks about a lost son. Now, as you look through those three different things, you might say, well, why would he break it down into those three items? Well, let's assume for a minute that you're a farmer. If you're a farmer, you might hear the story of the lost sheep and say, that makes sense to me. I get it. I understand. I understand what he's talking about. Maybe you're not a farmer. Maybe you're somebody who has got a lot of wealth and you're super rich and you hear the story of the coin and you say, I understand that. That makes sense to me. Or maybe you're somebody who's kind of right there in between where you don't have a lot of money, but your job is something other than a farmer. He wanted to make sure he could relate something with you as well. And that's where we come into this part of the story is where he's talking about this father and his son, well, sons in this case, and how their relationship plays out. So Luke chapter 15, verses, starting with verses 11 and 12. Here's what it says. He also said a man had two sons. A, the younger of them had said to his father, Father, give me the share of estate that I have coming to me. And so he distributed the assets to them. So this father's got two sons, and they're standing there in front of him. The one son, the younger son said, hey, listen, I know that whenever you die, I'm going to get money. But honestly, you're too healthy. You've been hanging in there too long, and I really want to get out of here. I want to take my money and run. I want to take the stuff that I have and go. I want to get out of here and leave. See, now, because this is a parable, we don't necessarily know what the relationship looked like between the father and son. Maybe the son wanted to leave because the father had a set of rules or expectations that the son just didn't want to deal with and didn't want to have to live up to. Maybe it was a situation where because they were brothers, the father was trying to you know, dole out the workload that was kind of even where one has to go do this and one has to go do that. But he didn't care for how that worked out or he thought it was unfair. We don't know the answer for how that plays out or what that looks like. But we do know what the son's response was with how everything played out with the father. The father sits them down, breaks up what each of them is going to get. He gives the portion of finances to the younger son, who then takes it and leaves. And here's what happens next. Not many days later, the younger son had gathered together all he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. After he had spent everything, a severe famine had struck that country, and he had nothing. So at this point, the son says, all right, I've got everything that my father is going to give me. I've taken everything that I'm going to get, and I'm going to go out, and I'm going to live the life that I want to live. I'm not going to worry about any of the stuff that he wanted me to do. I'm not going to follow any of his rules. I'm in charge now. I've got what's mine, and I'm going to go to the Israel version of Las Vegas, and I'm going to spend all of my money and do whatever I want to do. But eventually, the money ran out. All of the stuff that he had gotten from the father and he took with him, it eventually ran dry. And then he's stuck in a position of, what comes next? Where do I go from here? What is the next thing that I'm going to be doing? And how am I going to survive in the midst of all of this situation? So here's what comes next. He realizes he needs to get a job. 
So then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. Now, he was there, he was working, he was basically an indentured servant or a slave to what the person of this country wanted him to do. He longed to eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. Now, I don't know how many of you have actually slopped a hog. I don't know how many of you have gone through that process of seeing what pigs eat or what it looks like when a pig eats. But for somebody to be sitting there and looking at that and saying, man, I want to get in on that, that is a person who is desperate. That is a person who wants to eat and wants to have and is starving so badly that they just desperately want to get a hold of anything that can give them nourishment. That's the level of desperation that he has. So he's at a point now where he realizes, I'm in this country, there's been a famine, I need money, I'm doing this job that I can't stand, and I'm still not getting the needs that I need to have met, met. I'm not getting anything to go the way that I wanted it to go, or that I hoped that it might play out for me, not only in my relationship with my father, because of having left that scenario and gone over here, but in my relationship with everything else around me. He thought he was going to leave and everything was going to be smooth sailing. It wasn't. But he eventually had a, a come-to-Jesus kind of moment, a, a realization, an epiphany, if you will, that kind of struck his mind of, this is not the way it has to be for me. And when he came senses, he said, how many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food, and here I am over here dying of hunger. I'm starving. You know, I can get up, I'll go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. That's how desperate he is in this situation. He's willing to say, you know, I left a situation where I was this man's son and I had what I needed. I had the things that were going to help me get through all of the stuff that I was working on and all of the things that I was dealing with and I had money and I had income and I had all of the food I could possibly need. But now I've got nothing. I'm living in squalor. I don't have enough to eat. The pig slop looks delicious at this point. I gave all of this up in a hurry just to get what I wanted and came out here, and now I'm suffering. You know, as it's going through this story, and it's playing out, and it's showing what the son went through, I often stop and think, what was the dad doing during all of this? You know, some of you may have been through the scenario where your kids have said, listen, I don't want to live in your house or under your rules anymore. I'm out of here. And they left. If you are a person who's been in that situation, you know the constant prayers and worries and concerns and fears that you have for what's happening out in the world with your estranged child. And I can only think that this father in the midst of that situation is every night praying, God, please bring my son 
back home to me. I don't care what the reason is. I don't care about the situation. God, protect him, keep him safe, and let me have a relationship with him again. I can only imagine that that's what the dad was doing every single day, praying, God, please bring him home. God, please bring him home. God, let him come back to me. Let him come here. Because I look at it as a parent, and if it was me, I'd be doing that exact same thing as would most of you. But because it's a parable, because it's a story, we don't have all of the information for what could have happened if this situation had played out this way, or if it had been real. But we do know what comes next. The young man decides, you know what, I've had enough of this. I'm going to be the hired hand that will work on my father's farm. I'm going to go and I'm going to be his employee because I know how well he takes care of his employees. He pulls himself up out of the squalor, probably dirty, dingy, poor clothing because he didn't have money, filthy, and decides to go home. So he got up and he went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, the father saw him and he was filled with compassion. He ran. He threw his arms around his neck and he kissed him. See, for the son, this was a moment of, I'm going to give in to all of the things that had happened. I'm going to give in with the way this has played out, with all of the way these things have done and the way it's gone. I'm going to give in to all of that stuff. I'm going to go to my, I'm going to throw myself at his mercy and say, Father, I have sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven. I don't deserve to be your son. I gave all of that up, but I'm throwing myself at your mercy right now and begging you to bring me on as one of your hired hands. He didn't even get to get that out of his mouth before the father sees him coming in a long distance, a long way down the road, and says, I see my son. If he had been going through that process and praying and asking God and waiting for God to deliver on his prayer, he got to the point where he saw his son coming and he bolts down the street to go meet him, wraps his arms around him, gives him a great big hug, and is happy that he's back. In that moment, the waiting that he had had to do for God to answer that prayer didn't matter. The prayer was answered. It didn't matter how long it had taken anymore. He had the answer that he was looking for. And for the son to see the reaction of his dad, in some ways, I would like to think that he too, as he was walking back home, kind of getting ready to have this conversation with his dad. Oh, God, please let him say yes. Please let him say he'll hire me. Please let him say that he's going to, you know, bring me on. Let him hire me back to work for him. God, if I don't have this work out, I've got nothing left. I really need, I need my dad to say yes. You know, if the son had been praying that the whole way back to meeting up with the father, that moment where he first saw him down the way, the son had to be just 90 miles an hour thinking, how's this going to play out? What's he going to say? What am I going to do if he says no? What am I going to do 
if all of this doesn't work out and he doesn't let me come work for him. It had to be a terrifying experience for him to think through that. But the minute he said, you know, I'm not, wor- I'm not your son. I'm not worthy of being your son. I've sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven. And he had all of the stuff worked out in his mind of what he was going to say. He said it, and the father didn't even let him finish. The father quickly told his, he, the father told his servants, quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it and let's celebrate with a feast. Because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he's found and it's time to have a party. It's time to celebrate this. It's time to go through and say, we're going to celebrate the fact that my son is home. Imagine the moment for both the father who had been praying through this situation potentially and the son who had been worried and wondering what the father's response was going to be to come back together. Now, I want to make it clear that this story, the way Jesus told this parable, it's not about the relationship with that father and that son. And it's not about the fact that both of them demonstrated different levels of patience. It's not about the fact that that, that's not the point that Jesus was trying to make with that story. The point he was trying to make is that God cares more about you and everything about you as a person than he does about the situation that you were in, whether you walked away from him willingly, whether you've never had a relationship with him. He just wants the relationship with you. He doesn't care about any of the details. That's the purpose of what Jesus was trying to bring home in this parable. But to look at it through the lens of patience and to look at it through the lens of impatience for the son to say, I want what I want. I want it right now. I want you to give it to me. I know that one day I'm going to be given this anyway, and I'm going to take it now, and I'm going to leave. And the father saying, okay, if you're going to take it and you're going to go, I'm going to let you take it. I'm going to let you go. I hope one day you come back. Go ahead. Here it is. Take it. And then the celebration, whenever the son finally came back to him. You know, there's a number of ways of looking at that parable and saying, I can relate to what that looks like. Because in my life and in your life, there have been times where we have been horribly impatient for the things that we've wanted. There have been times where you've looked at things and said, I'm not going to wait for this. I don't want to wait for it. I'm just going to go. I'm going to do. I'm going to take it. I'm going to get it now. I'm going to be done. And then there are other times where you're the son that is in the squalor and in the filth and in the dirt and in the yuck, and you're looking at the pig slop and saying, man, that's looking pretty good right now. And if that's you, if that's the position you found yourself in, it's very easy to get hung up on the things that are bothering you. It's very easy to get hung up on the things that aren't going the way that you want them to. See, I had thrown up on the screen earlier that patience means the capacity to accept or tolerate delay, trouble, or suffering without getting angry or upset. What does your capacity for that look like? 
when you're in the midst of a situation like you are right now where things aren't going the way you had hoped, where maybe there are some challenges that are happening and you're not happy with the way that it looks and you're not happy with the fact that things aren't going or progressing as quickly as you want them to. When you're in the middle of that scenario and you're saying, you know, I'm not happy with the way this whole thing is playing out, what do you do? Do you get angry? Do you get bitter? Do you get hostile? Do you end up letting all of the changes and challenges eventually wear you down to the point where you no longer have any patience toward anything? You are so angry and irritable all the time that even your own family is like, this has to end because if it doesn't, I am going to lose my mind with you right now. If you get to that point, you have to look at the things that are making you impatient, the things that are making you wait, the things that are drawing you further and further down that path of irritability and frustration and anger toward the situation and say, there's more to this than me just being unhappy. Because ultimately, you can't always change your situation. You can't always change the position in which you find yourself. But the one thing and the singular thing that you always have control over is your outlook. That's the one thing that you've got where you can say, this is mine. I have every bit of ability to say, I'm not going to let this get me down. No matter how much I dislike it, no matter how much it bothers me, I'm not going to let it eat away at me. Because ultimately, your outlook changes everything. Choose the things that you can rejoice in. Your outlook changes everything. Choose the things that you can rejoice in. Now, I had a conversation this week where I had told another pastor, I'm getting really tired of preaching about COVID. I really am, because I'm to the point now where I don't want to hear about it anymore. I don't want to talk about it anymore. I know that there are people out there that are sick and suffering from it, and I pray for those people, and I want them to have healing. But I'm done being afraid. I'm done being worried. I'm done looking at all of the disruption and saying, this is getting to me. I'm not going to do it anymore because my outlook from now on is going to be if we end up having to say, well, there's going to be this shut down and then this is going to open and then it's going to shut down again and then we'll open this back up and these restrictions are in place and these are in place. It's going to drive me crazy. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm going to abide by what they say to do. I'm going to go along with it and I'm going to do what needs to happen for my health and for the health of the people around me, but I'm going to rejoice in the midst of it because I don't care how all of these things are playing out. It doesn't impact my relationship with God or my ability to serve him. It simply doesn't. We're having church right now online. We're having church online right now, and there are people that are getting stuff from churches that have maybe not been in a church in the past 30 years. That is something to rejoice about. There are also people that are sick and suffering and dying. That is a group of people we need to mourn with. 
There's stuff that is happening that is incredible, and there is stuff that is happening that is heartbreaking. But because I can focus my outlook on the positive rather than the negative, I'm not going to let the stuff that's happening with whatever is said by the government, whatever is said by the CDC, whatever is said by any local municipalities, I'm not going to let any of that impact how I look at what's coming next. Because I'm going to rejoice in the fact that I can serve God in the desert, and I can serve God in the snow, and I can serve God in the midst of the Sahara, and I can serve God wherever he plants me and wherever he puts me. And if he says that for this time, this is your lot in life, I'm going to accept that and say, okay, God, you've got a reason for it, and I'm going to go ahead and go forward. And I'm not going to worry about it. Because that's the way you get through dealing with your outlook on what's coming next, is you don't let the things that are happening eat away at your joy. You just don't. You've got, if you've got a relationship with Jesus Christ, you've got something in your pocket that keeps you from ever having to say, these things are going to bother me, because I know that there's something greater, I know that it's, there's something coming next, and I'm going to celebrate that. I'm going to celebrate the positives, and I'm going to ignore the negatives, and I'm going to move forward. I'm not going to let the waiting hurt me. I'm not going to let the waiting impact my joy. I'm not going to let the uncertainty bring me suffering because I can serve God in whatever area he plants me, and I'm not going to let it get to me. Because ultimately, that's the best way to approach that. That is having parent-level patience. That's being able to say that whatever happens, whatever happens to me, whatever happens around me, I'm going to continue to serve God. So, with that, I want to ask you guys a few questions. The first is this. What is your biggest challenge that harms your patience? What is your biggest challenge that harms your patience? What are the things that you have going on right now, whether it's COVID-related or whether it's your job or whether it's your spouse or whether it's any of these other numbers of things, whether it's your kids, what are the things that is the biggest challenge to you being patient? The second question is this. How have you historically handled being impatient? When those challenges arise and when those things happen that you're struggling to deal with, how do you get through it? How do you move on? How do you get past it without losing your cool? And the third is this. Do you think that your ability to remain patient is tied to your relationship with God? Or maybe even how do you think that your ability to remain patient is tied to your relationship with God? Those are the three questions that we're going to be talking about uh, tomorrow night at 6.30. And I want you guys to take some time to reflect about those. Think about what that means. I'll be right back here on Facebook Live tomorrow night, and we can dive into those and look at those and see what it means for you and for me to understand how those things are impacting our patients and how we have to deal with that on a daily basis. Let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. God, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here today. God, I want to again just lift up a prayer for all of the moms and just be with each and every one of them, Lord. 
There are trials and there are tribulations and there are things that they're dealing with right now, and dads too, that they're trying to understand how to get their kids through this without losing their sanity along the way. But God, just please be with each person that's watching this right now and help them understand that having patience is within their ability to control, even if they don't like the things that are happening around them. And God, I say that same prayer for me today. Help me with my patience going forward. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us. I hope to see you right back here next Sunday morning for our online stream. Have a good week.